This week, I spoke to Alexandra Willis, who was so close to pursuing a career as a lawyer until she realised she needed to follow her passion to work in sport. Alex started out as a staff writer for Ace Tennis magazine and is soon to become the communications and marketing director at the All England Lawn Tennis Club, otherwise known as Wimbledon. Alex's journey has not been plain sailing and her setbacks have made her into the woman she is today. She has so much knowledge and valuable advice to share and I really hope you enjoy listening. So I'm with Alexandra Willis, currently Head of Communications Content and Digital at the All England Lawn Tennis Club, otherwise known as, as Wimbledon to most of the listeners out there. How are you doing today, Alex? Very good. It is Friday and the sun is shining um, and got the weekend on the horizon, which is always a good thing. Yeah, brilliant. And and thank you for coming on today. I thought I'd start out just by saying congratulations on the recent promotion. I know it's not official until the 1st of August, I think, but you have recently been appointed as communications and marketing director at the All England Club. So absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm uh, very excited. Uh, absolutely thrilled. Um, Wimbledon is a phenomenal place to work for all sorts of reasons and and really delighted to have the opportunity to continue to contribute to um, the impact, hopefully positive impact that Wimbledon has on people. Uh, But we've got to get through this year's championships first. Definitely. And I can't wait to find a bit more out about that. But um, thank you so much for coming on. I've definitely followed your career from probably the very beginning and, and seen how far you've come. And I think as the purpose of this podcast is to really talk through that career journey and pick out some of the highlights and maybe some of the setbacks and some of the learnings you've had, I think would be really interesting. And just to get things kicked off, can you just give a bit of a pricey really of your career today? Where did you start out and some of the roles you've had and some of those key highlights along the way? I'll do my best. And, um, and I should say thank you so much for having me. Um, I think the most important thing for anyone to take away is that there is no right way or one way uh, to, to do things. Um, sport is, is brilliant because it, it's not a uh, robotic uh, sort of trajectory based um, industry like, like many others. And in many cases, you, you make your own luck and you make your own opportunities, but that all comes from brilliant people. Uh, and there are so many brilliant people working in the sports industry. I know you didn't ask for that, so apologies for rambling off topic. Um, so I, uh, like many people, did a, did a degree that gave me absolutely no direction in terms of what career I was going to, to go and do. I studied history. Um, I loved it. Um, and I, like most history graduates, thought that the best thing to do was to go and become a lawyer. And around the time that I um, got the letter saying, uh, you know, please send over your deposit for your law conversion course, I had a bit of an abrupt change of heart, um, essentially thinking, I can't imagine anything worse than burying my head in in legal textbooks. (laughs) And why don't I try and give something that I'm really passionate about a go? And with enormous credit to my parents, who did their best not to look horrified at this decision, we sort of came to an agreement that I would I would try, and if it didn't work out, then in a year's time I could always reapply for the law conversion course and go back to safety. Um, and the, the passions that I wanted to try and combine were a love of sport. I grew up playing sport um, 
but probably more more what's more relevant is I grew up watching sport I grew up watching so much sport really thanks to my dad and thanks to my my grandfather um and I loved writing um you know that's one of the things that my history degree did give me was a, a real appreciation of telling a story through words and and forming an argument doing the research and then working out what you want to say um so I said I know I'm going to be a sports journalist uh, with no idea of, of how to do it, um, contacted a few people, uh, asked for some advice, uh, asked for a five minute conversation, sometimes led to a 15 minute coffee or a half an hour, um, did a few bits and pieces of, of work experience and was very lucky to have a bit of a, a right place, right time opportunity um, to, to write a letter to a tennis magazine and they wrote back saying, it's funny, we've been thinking about hiring somebody, but we hadn't yet got around to advertising. Would you be interested? Um, and that was my first job working for Ace Tennis Magazine. Uh, and it sort of went from there, really. Yeah, I mean, Ace Tennis Magazine, I, th I think that was one of the most legendary magazines in tennis before it was Serve and, serve and Volley, wasn't it? Um, so, so you started out writing for that magazine and did you did you want to work in tennis specifically, or were you quite happy to work in any sport to start with? Any sport, um, genuinely. I, I wrote to um, uh, one of the pieces of advice I was given is that you can you can try and get in through the the kind of newspaper route and start off at your local newspapers and then work up to nationals. You can apply for trainee schemes at the nationals. Um, or you can go the kind of publishing, contract publishing route and work for a specialist magazine. And so I actually wrote to a few. I wrote to Rugby World, I wrote to Cricket One, and I wrote to Ace Magazine. Um, so, so no, I, I wasn't wedded to tennis. Um, and actually, it shocked me that as someone who had watched Wimbledon every year and watched Queens every year, how little I knew about tennis as a global sport and, and how it's structured. Um, but like many things, the more you learn about it, the more you grow to love it. Um, and so I sort of began to develop this quite strong commitment to tennis um, in, in, in that sort of early, early part of my career. Yeah. And so you stayed at the tennis magazine. You can talk through how long did you stay there and, and what, how did you move on from that? Because obviously the world of journalism has changed hugely during the last 10, 15 years. And I think you've probably been very much part of that change um digital transformation and so just talk through how that changed whilst you were in the sports journalism industry and and, and what did you do after that sort of writing for a magazine yeah so I, I in all in all I worked for for ace for, for three years um and within those three years it, it went through a change in in ownership change in, in publisher um which was was one thing to to manage and, and deal with and i'm sure we'll come back to that um but the other change that the significant one which i think gave me a lot of the building blocks um that i've you know managed to to develop and, and enhance uh was in in the medium itself and and in a and in a, a content product transitioning from being just one physical product in this case a magazine to actually being more like a brand um, a, a sort of an editorial voice that people like and resonate with and want to hear from. And so while I was at Ace Magazine, we we set up social media channels for, for, for Ace. Um, we also developed a an email newsletter. 
Um, all of this sounds sort of very parochial now. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we and we began to develop online content as well. So people had this idea that they could engage with with the brand of Ace or the voice of Ace on on a variety of platforms. And really trying to think about how you extend your storytelling beyond just the written word into multimedia formats. We didn't quite get into video when I was there, but but that's obviously one of the very natural extensions is is how you combine written word and video to tell wonderful stories. And um, it was a great privilege, really, to, to, to live through some of this transformation. Um, and also as one of the younger people around, in, in some senses, be tasked with it because I was on Twitter um, all day, every day, way too much. Um, and so I was the natural person to think about how we could bring Ace to life on, on Twitter. Um, the same same with emails, but still retaining that, that quality of a printed product and understanding everything that goes into um, putting something like that together. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so that was your first sort of role. And how did you... How did you make that role a success? Because I hear quite a lot of people who's, who get started out in a, in a role and maybe they struggle to find their feet. And I think especially learning about, I, I hate to say the word politics or the, the world of work is so different to what university is. So how did you make that work for you? What were the key learnings from that first job out of university? So I think the, I think the first, you know, it sort of started from being so thrilled and grateful to have a job and particularly to have a job about which I was passionate and it's funny because I'd go and meet friends who were working you know in accountancy firms or law firms and they weren't quite buying champagne and I was on lime and soda but you know there was a bit of a difference in terms of our uh, uh, our earning potential let's say um but they all said to me oh you're so lucky you're doing something that you love and that, and that you care about um, and I suppose the first lesson I learned was not getting too caught up in that passion so much that you you um, you stagnate or you tread water, because actually when you're in a job that you're passionate about, there is even more of a prerogative on on you to learn and challenge yourself to 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 live, be a little bit more commercial and say how am I continuing to add value? How am I making sure that I become indispensable how am i soaking up every opportunity to do to do more so my kind of career path at, at ace went from being a staff writer writing kit reviews I have to admit i was definitely not qualified to write kit reviews um <laughs> to taking over the, the sort of editorship of a sister publication that, that ace had called british tennis magazine you know learning how to to run that whole process end to end dealing with contributors, managing people, um, to eventually becoming deputy editor of the whole magazine and running the this, this sort of multi-platform execution across the magazine, social media um, and, and web. And that, that all came from continually trying to think about what else I could be doing and what else we could be doing, um, learning about different mediums and different formats on the way to work um using my lunch break not just uh you know sitting down and i have to admit in my early days i'd sit and watch movie trailers on apple it was amazing i loved it um but 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 working really trying to squeeze every opportunity out out of being there and continue to justify the, the value that i was providing back to the business uh, along the way yeah no definitely i think 
and I'm sure working a few extra hours at times. <laughs> yeah, because you, you can when you're starting out. Um, yeah. and, and it's important, you know, I, I would say, and I'm sure we'll come back to this, I didn't get it right um, in, in my early career. I, I probably sacrificed too much um, putting in extra hours um, with with work. And, and I think that's one of the things that you have to you have to navigate and and work out what's going to what's going to work best for you. Yeah, no, definitely. So following the, the magazine, what happened? Where did you go after that? And, and was that a were you then thinking, I definitely want to work in sports journalism for the for the long term? Or, or did you at the end of that time, did you have a, th- a think about actually, is there something I want to go into more of a leadership role? Um, great question. So, and I would say that in hindsight, it probably looks all quite planned, but, but at the time it definitely wasn't. And I think one of the pieces of advice we can give ourselves always is to embrace things not working out quite as you planned and, and trying to be as flexible as possible because even in, in an industry like sport where, where you, you may think that you're going down a certain trajectory and you're building certain skill sets and, and knowledge, they are so much more transferable than than you may realize and 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 don't be worried if it isn't working out exactly as you anticipated so so my my sort of dream was absolutely to be a a sports journalist and and when i um you know came up with this brilliant idea um the you know the the ultimate was always to get to work for a newspaper and and i sort of saw working for ace as giving me the skills and tools um, but it's amazing how you can be in an environment and start to work out how it works and think about how it works and suddenly think, well, maybe that original plan isn't, you know, isn't quite right. And actually, the, the where I am at the moment is, is where I want to kind of double down and progress. And, and I worked for a contract publisher who had multiple titles. Ace was really the only sports title. You know, they, they did Sainsbury's magazine and they did all sorts of other things. And so I began to think, well, maybe I should set my sights on developing a portfolio of magazines and, and becoming one of those types of people. And in the end, the decision was made for me um, because uh, the the publishing company lost the contract for Ace magazine. Um, and so my role was made redundant. And I'm sure in many of your conversations, you're talking about there being particular moments that, that come along and, and disrupt somebody's plan and and that was one of those for me um and and i spent a lot of time thinking about it because i was sort of saying well i thought i was an asset to that company and surely they could have found somewhere to put me and um, surely my skills were transferable enough that they could have just put me on the the airline magazine or the the supermarket one or, or whatever it might be um but they didn't they chose to make me redundant and um it was pretty tough, I have to say. Um, the the kind of the the biscuit was was not necessarily being treated brilliantly as I as I walked out the door, um, and I sort of thought, well, what on earth am I going to do now? And as is often the case, it was the best possible thing that could have happened, because it, it forced me to to reevaluate and think about what I really cared about, what really energised me, and getting up every day and going to work. And and being honest. It wasn't. It wouldn't have been sub-editing features about supermarkets and and things like that. It was returning back to the original passion, which was which was sport, and and in this case, which was was tennis. And so um, 
I went back to my my network as it as it were and was so privileged to have already met some fantastic people who worked in tennis um the first year at, at, at ace i went to wimbledon i got to sort of taken under the wing of a couple of, of other female tennis journalists um alex ramsey and, and eleanor preston um and they showed me the ropes and they and they looked out for me um and so i asked them you know what what, what should i do and they said well the brilliant thing for you is that you're in a, in a time where not only media entities want to tell the story of tennis um, and all sport, actually event owners and even athletes and even teams and leagues and brands want to tell the story of what's going on at different events. So, you know, why don't you try going freelance and contact a few of these events and tournaments and see if they'll take you on? And so I managed to get um, a job working for the Australian Open website um, with thanks to Kim Trengrove, who gave me that that job and also um, managed to set up some uh, some other freelance opportunities throughout the Australian tennis season. Um, another good friend, Caroline Cheese, set me up with um, Associated Press uh, to cover the Hopman Cup and also the Daily Express, which came about through Alex Ramsey. Um, so off I off I went on this adventure to to work as a freelance journalist. Um, unbelievable experience, um, and I got to travel, which is just such a privilege. Uh, and I got to write. I got to really write sort of on my own own terms, but working you know into into an editor. Um, did a few other things like that um, uh, for the Davis Cup, for the Fed Cup. Um, again, all of these events, looking for content creation. Um, and then ended up getting a phone call about doing something similar for Wimbledon. Um, the guy who managed the Wimbledon website was leaving and they were looking for somebody to come in and, and fill the gap in, in a freelance capacity and, and write for the Wimbledon website. Um, so, of course, as a freelancer, the first rule is always say yes and never say no. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and off I went to an interview at, at Wimbledon for that, that sort of temporary position. Um, and they said yes. Um, so I was still doing some other freelance bits and pieces. Um, and that was the first time I walked through the, the gates of the All England Club, um, you know, in, in a kind of more formal capacity. Um, very different place it was then, I, I, I will say. Um, and uh, that was the sort of beginning of the next chapter. Wow. So amazing experience, a lot of varied experience there. And, and would you say the setback you had at Ace Magazine and being made redundant, has that shaped you? How has that informed how you are today? I'm just interested in, I've often found when you have that setback, it just does make you stronger. Um, and I'm just interested in, in that. Do you reflect on that now and think how it's shaped you today? A lot, um, uh, hugely, in fact, um, because I think it helped me get back on track and, and sort of... Um, pivot back to what it was that I really wanted to do and there's nothing like time uh, to force you to do that um, I think also because it, ha it happened to if I remember rightly it happened towards the end of the year so it was sort of just before Christmas and and and, and everyone was naturally taking a little bit of time out um, it also taught me to look out for yourself and and this this sounds like um 
that means you shouldn't trust people. I'm definitely not saying that because you should absolutely trust people. Um, but it, it taught me the value of of truthful, honest, trusting relationships um, versus relationships that are, are maybe a little bit more transactional or expedient, if it's fair to call them that. So, you know, when I didn't know what to do, I turned to these people, um, you know, who, who I've mentioned, whose immediate thought was, how can I help? Their immediate thought wasn't, what's in it for me? And, um, and that's something that I just think is the most incredible quality and, and something that, you know, I, I would hope I've tried to, to pick up and, and, and do the same because all it takes is, is a five minute conversation and, and you never quite know where it, where it might lead and where it might spark. And, and yes, we're all really busy, but you can always make the time um, for those types of conversations. So, yeah, being made redundant was it was it was a big moment. The second one, um, which I think has absolutely shaped me, was was what happened after going to Wimbledon. Um, so I was working at Wimbledon in this in this freelance job, juggling a couple of other things, and I got my dream phone call. Um, I, I got rung up by. Uh, the sports editor at the Telegraph, who had made the time for me to have a, a sort of 15 minute chat with him when I was busy working out what to do. And he said, I've got a job for you. Um, and it was to go and be a sports production journalist on the Telegraph sports desk. Uh, the Telegraph were launching an iPad app and they wanted somebody to come in and basically take the content they were producing for the main paper and reformat it and make it fit for purpose for, for the iPad app. Um, Great, another great example of how media organisations were changing and, and had to, to take advantage of that. And um, the problem was, is that it was committed to Wimbledon. Um, so I came up with an idea, which was that Wimbledon needed me during the day and the Telegraph needed me in the evenings. So I went to the uh, the IT director at Wimbledon, who was who was um, my sort of you know my main point of contact, who managed my contract. And I said to him, Tim, Tim Wilson was his name. I, I, I'm absolutely committed to you and I'm not going to let you down, but I can't not consider this opportunity. Would you be willing to let me do both? And unbelievably, he said yes. And um, we sort of had an agreement about how it would work. And so from from I think it was March that year, I began this period of going into Wimbledon at eight o'clock and then at three o'clock I would leave and go off to the telegraph and start a shift at four and and finish around midnight you know one o'clock depending on um who was on the the early and late shifts and it was absolutely hell um it was the most challenging thing that i've been through and you know going back to working out how much you should work and how much you shouldn't work um it it, uh, it completely changed my outlook on on work life balance and work life integration, um, but I learned the most enormous amount, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be you know anywhere without having gone through that experience. I don't think because it taught me the value of hard work. It taught me the value of relationships. It taught me what you must not give up um, in your in your personal life. Um, but I learned so much along the way. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. fascinating I think it sounds grueling um, and I think the one thing is not to turn your passion and your pursuit of your your dream job in sport you know not to 
damage that by trying to work too many hours and, and that burnout that you probably got to and so how what was the tipping point and when did you realize that actually that wasn't sustainable and took you on to your job at Wimbledon now um, and I know you've been through a number of roles there just just talk through that so I, I think um, the answer is again it comes back to relationships and it comes back to someone being willing to put the trust in you so I think one of the reasons why I was trying to ride um, both horses as it were is that a I'd made a commitment to Wimbledon I didn't want to didn't want to let them down I went through the tournament um, I actually ended up writing for the Telegraph from Wimbledon every day of the tournament, which was an incredible opportunity. Um, the, 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 uh, I was sort of part of the tennis team. Um, and then after after Wimbledon was the natural time to make the decision and to sort of say, OK, well, I'm going to either stay at Wimbledon and, and, and ask for a you know, longer contract or I'm going to stay at the Telegraph. Um, and, I, and I guess what I was grappling with is that neither... Neither organisation had yet put their faith in me. Neither organisation had made me a, a permanent offer. And I didn't have a, a yearning for, for either one. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you just let it play out and you see what happens. So I continued to, to do both jobs. Um, at that time, the, the Telegraph tennis writer actually left. And so I ended up doing a lot more writing for the paper and was really excited about you know what that might lead to. And at the same time, there was a bit of a change of team at Wimbledon and some new people came in and Wimbledon recognised that that digital platforms, the website which I was writing for and social media platforms that I was managing were being immensely underused um, and they were they were moved into the commercial team and, and sort of thought of as being a, you know, a marketing benefit, a way for Wimbledon to tell its story and attract an audience and, and do all of those good things. Um, and basically came down to someone in the Wimbledon team, uh, a guy called James, recognising the value that I could bring um, and making my waiting worthwhile by saying, right, we want you and we're going to create a job for you and we're going to make it worth your while. And at the same time, the Telegraph, which, you know, I will always be so grateful to for giving me that fantastic opportunity, but they weren't quite in the same place. They, they offered me a, a sort of six month extension, um, whereas Wimbledon was offering me a permanent role. And um, and so at the end of that year, I, I took the took the, the permanent role at Wimbledon. I was asked if I would come in and lead the digital strategy and sort of set it up from scratch. Um and and I said yes, and and that taught me that patience is is a good thing. Um, that if if you are willing to continue to put the hours in, and you form positive relationships and you put your trust in people, then if they can, they will find out a way to make it work for you. Um, and uh, and and it paid off. Fab. And you're now there. You're still there. How long? How many years have you been there now? So horrifyingly, I've been there for ten years. Um, so that was that was at the beginning of 2012 that that um, that that sort of shift happened. Um, and uh, and during that time, my my role has changed now four times. Um, all of it being an opportunity to find a new thing that we could do, um, present a case for it, and 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 expand it. So my role sort of changed from being 
just digital to to digital content and editorial to then communications and how we were positioning ourselves to then developing an audience strategy and how we're going to engage with with our fans and set up crm to to creative and marketing executions um to to sort of where we are now so there is there is no end to what you can do within your job if you look for the opportunities you know how to create a compelling business case and you can generate support yeah no definitely and i think all those the remit that you now have is actually quite vast i'm just interested in how do you manage such a wide remit effectively what what do you do because you could do so many things how do you manage to stay on top of things so and and i think i'm sure you've you've talked about this as as well in your conversations that there's a there's a definite um threshold ceiling wall whichever analogy you want to use of moving from from being the the doer and and the and the performer to being much more removed and being more of a, a strategist and a, and a leader and a manager and that has taken me a long time to work out and and i think that's partly because it comes back to this uh, this concept of working in a job that we're passionate about it's so much easier to be hands-on when you care about something um, and you've got that natural drive and you've got that curiosity to say well, I want to figure out the answer, and I want to I want to work out how we're going to do it, um, and that's a that's a tremendous strength, but it can become a real weakness if you if you overplay it and you don't learn how to how to manage it. Um, and one of the things that that I'm continuing to try to do on a on a daily basis is give others the opportunity to show their own curiosity and and work out their their input and the way they contribute. And in some ways I blame my education a bit because we were taught that the way to get to the right answer is to develop your own opinion and then argue it as forth, forcefully and forthrightly as you can. And that's that's not the way to um, deliver fantastic results. The way to deliver fantastic results is to, is to set out a problem create the forum for open discussion and contribution of lots and lots of ideas. Many inputs are, 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 the, are the way to create a, a good outcome. And then ultimately, as the, the leader of the team or the person who's ultimately responsible, you then have the ability to make the decision. Um, but if, if you've gone about it in a, in a collaborative way, you will always get better outcomes. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I definitely struggle with being hands off. I totally get that. And I think that's something that many people will face challenges with. And and just going to your role now, I'm just really interested on a day to day basis, because for people listening, they might not know that Wimbledon is not just the two weeks a year event. It is actually a whole other there's a whole other world to what goes on. And, and I know there's lots of big plans for the All England Club as well. Just talk through, in a nutshell, what your actual role is on a day-to-day basis. What are you trying to achieve? It's a fantastic question, and, and let's see if my elevator pitch works. So, um, so in in some ways, I think I think the areas that I look after with with support from the team are how Wimbledon positions itself to the outside world. And, and what does Wimbledon stand for? And what 
tools do we create and deploy to get that message across? So ultimately, you know, Wimbledon exists to be one of the leading sporting events in the world, um, but but to do so in a way that is delivering a positive impact. And and this idea that we can't be one of the best sporting events in the world if we're not giving back at the same time and we're not acting in a responsible way. So um, that positioning isn't just about how we stage the best possible championships and how the grass courts look immaculate and and all of the wonderful attributes of the Wimbledon brand from the strawberries and cream to the hill to the picnics to the incredible performances of the players but also what we do in our community um, the work of our charitable foundation on mental health and opportunities for, for disadvantaged people we've been doing it a lot around the COVID response um, ranging from uh, producing hot meals in our kitchens and distributing them to the local community to giving away all the towels that were meant to be used for the 2020 championships um, which um, was cancelled um, and, uh, and and then within within all of that are the, are the partnerships that we have and, and this is something that I, I care about a lot and um, I think all comes back from from the network of relationships that I've been so lucky to, to build and and the trust that people have, have placed in me, um, it, it's it's the role that you play in contributing to something bigger. So the relationships we have with our broadcast partners, you know, Wimbledon is what it is because of the relationship with the BBC and ESPN and Eurosport and others. The same for commercial partners, you know, Rolex, HSBC, Ralph Lauren, IBM, all of those. And then all of the other sort of entities that we interact with on a daily basis, whether that's social media platforms or different media entities, um, other sports. Um, and, and that's the thing that I, I think we've got this tremendous opportunity in, in kind of the next decade is there's this fragmentation all around us. So how can we create some form of unity by working with others and, and creating opportunities to, to tackle some of the challenges? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's, sounds like a very interesting role and one that there's huge opportunity for and I was going to ask around firstly is Wimbledon happening this year I believe it is but I'd like you to just talk about that quickly and secondly what's the one biggest change you think that might happen in the sports events industry in the next kind of 10-20 years? Ooh, um, so uh, in terms of this year um, we we're absolutely planning to stage the championships um, in the usual window um, from the 28th of June to the 11th of July. Hopefully I've got the dates right. It'd be embarrassing <laughs> if I haven't. Um, and uh, the, the, but the thing that isn't clear is exactly what that looks like. And, um, you know, that's the case for many sports events happening this summer, whether that's the, the Open Golf Championship um, or, or Goodwood or, or Henley. Um, and that's just because of the the kind of nature of the pandemic in, in the UK and, and the vaccination programme, all of which is incredibly heartening and positive, but it's not, you know, we can't be certain yet. Um, but we are really, really hoping that there's a, a wonderful narrative to tell with Wimbledon taking place as the country's returning to normality. Um, and being able to welcome, you know, some of the world's best players onto our courts would would just be 
a real thrill. I, I don't think any of us realised how much we would miss the tournament not happening last year. Um, and so it's something that we're all very energised by and working hard towards. Um, in terms of change for the sports industry, um, big, big what question. is the one big thing? It's a great question. Um, I think that I think there'll be a repositioning of of where sports events and the sports industry as a whole think that their value exists. I think there'll be a, a much greater pivot towards and respect of, of audiences and fans in general and therefore trying to create as many different opportunities to engage with those audiences as possible and you know not not beating about the bush deriving commercial value from them but but hopefully uh, you know significant progression but beyond the, the model of today which is almost a little bit um money first audience second um i i think that's the, the and it's been trailed for a while and and forecast for a while but i think in the next decade i think that will that change will materialize yeah no definitely very interesting i think it's going to be uh, hopefully an interesting summer uh, um, and i'm definitely hopeful that we'll see some more live sport and um, so thank you alex for sharing your journey it's been fascinating and i think some of the highlights that you've shared will definitely inspire a lot of people. If you had to give one piece of advice to your younger self now, what would it be? Um, probably, probably to, to be a little less proud um, and to to ask for help more along the way because I'll, I'll emphasize it again I think one of the, the most brilliant things about the sports industry is the people um, there are some absolutely wonderful people working in sport and and this is the other thing this is probably what I should have said but it's part of the same point it is it's meant to be fun I think sometimes we take ourselves too seriously yeah. and you can achieve unbelievable things and have a good time at the same time and you can do it by being a nice person as well yeah love that thank you so much for being on the podcast today alex and good luck with the new role thank you thanks for having me it was so refreshing to hear from alex who i think must be one of the youngest directors i have ever interviewed her honesty and belief in nurturing, trusting and honest relationships at work and her recognition that good people are fundamental to the sports industry is so powerful to hear. And the courage she had to take a risk as a young person who had a path already mapped out to her by others is something I really hope everyone listening can learn from and take something from. She certainly has thrived on learning from her setbacks and making her own luck. To learn more about Alex, please check out the show notes and read more about her story.